Carpe diem, seize the day. I remember learning that phrase in high school as we watched a movie in English class. It was great. I didn't have to read. I got to watch a movie for class. The premise of this movie is about an English teacher who, rather than teaching just the subject of English, teaches his students more about life, teaches them to live extraordinary lives by seizing the day to do what makes you happy. And throughout the movie, there's different conflicts of these kids seizing the day and what that means. Should they listen to their parents or should they seize the day? Should they obey authorities or should they seize the day? Should they defy the boxes the world tries to put them in by seizing the day? Then do it. At the end of the day, the teacher taught them to make the most of the life you're living. Because in the end, as the teacher says to the students, we are food for worms, and our lot in life is to fertilize daisies. So gather ye rosebuds while ye may. Old time is still a-flying. And the same flower that smiles today, tomorrow, will be dying. Make the most of this life, because it's temporary. This teacher taught his students a lot in the short time that he was there. And it seems as though this world still operates on this very same principle. Whether or not we know the phrase carpe diem or what it means, it's something that we still strive for. We look for happiness. We look for fulfillment, for meaning. We want our lives to not just to be ordinary, but to be extraordinary. So we highlight the extraordinary things that we do. We document and we publicize the exciting parts of our lives. And the everyday things just lay off by the side. We emphasize the extraordinary. As a brief example, for those of you who still work or for those of you who are in school, tomorrow as you go back to your jobs or as you go to school and you sit with your friends or your co-workers and they ask you the question, what did you do this weekend? Most of us, I think, would probably say, nothing. We didn't do anything. We just, it's a normal weekend. Nothing happened, really this weekend, unless you did something extraordinary. There's pressure around us to live our lives extraordinarily, beyond just the ordinary, to emphasize the special, unique things that happen to us. After all, this life is all that we get. So the purpose is to make memories and have a good time. Our text today comes from a section of 1 Corinthians where Paul is answering questions that the Corinthians had. In the greater context of chapter 7, Paul is answering some questions about marriage. There are things going on in this context, and people are asking Paul, Paul, is it okay if we get married? We see that you're not married. Is it okay to get married, or is it sinful to get married? And Paul answers that question saying it's okay to get married. It's not a sin. Don't worry about it. It's better to get married than to burn with passion. But if you do get married, there's hard times coming for you. It's better for you in this time to not be married. It's important to see that he is writing to a specific group of people at a specific time as well. And so we'll look at this background, but let's read again the passage for our text this morning. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 29 through 31. And if you're able, I'll invite you to stand out of respect for God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting at verse 29. But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened, so that from now on those who have wives should be as though they had none, those who weep as though they did not weep, those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, those who buy as though they did not possess, 
and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For the form of this world is passing away. Father God, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray that you would sanctify us in your truth here this morning. Open our hearts and our ears to receive the message that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This life that we're living is temporary and is passing away. And one day our bodies too will be food for worms and fertilizer. Rather than living by the motto carpe diem, this morning we're going to be looking at a different motto of which to live our lives by. Carpe Christum, seize Christ. In the passage, we find reasons why to seize Christ, and we also find a reason when, or the timing when to seize Christ. And again, like I said, a bit of background into the situation that Paul is writing to is helpful. I don't claim to be an expert of knowing what went on in the first century in Corinth. I don't even know what's going on fully today as well. But I read through some different commentaries to hear what's going on at this time. Who is Paul writing to? What is he talking about? What situation is he referring to here? And I've mentioned before a few weeks ago about the sophists, the wise guys during this time. That these philosophers were the celebrities of the day that people were trying to emulate, people were trying to be like. And there were two main camps of these philosophers. One camp was all about avoiding pain and superstitious fears, all about pursuing pleasure and peace and happiness. Their whole idea was li of life was live this life to the fullest because it's all that you have. It's all that you get. And the other camp sought to be self-sufficient. Don't depend on anybody else. Don't rely on anybody else. No one's going to help you. You've got to figure this out for yourself. It's not too different from what we find ourselves surrounded by today, is it? following pleasure after pleasure after pleasure, or doing whatever it takes to be self-sufficient. I don't need any handouts. I don't need any help. I'm fine by my own. Well, Paul points his readers here in this context to what really matters, to something that actually lasts. First of all, in verse 29, he tells them that the time has been shortened. In verse 29, Paul touches on something that puts the world's problems and everything that we struggle for in this world into perspective. He says, but I say this, brethren, the time has been shortened. And he doesn't say this in the text, but he implies it throughout the greater context of Paul's letters. So seize Christ. The time has been shortened, seize Christ. What time is Paul talking about here? What is he referring to? In verse 26 of this text, Paul mentions a present distress, a present distress for the people in Corinth at this day, at this time. There's a couple of ideas out there of what this present distress was. One idea was that there was a famine going on. Historically, there was a famine at this time that Paul is writing this letter. The other idea out there other than having it be a famine, was is this present distress the believer's life in this world? Because Jesus said, in this world you will have troubles, but take heart, I have overcome this world. Is this the present distress that Paul is talking about? Or is Paul talking about the present distress being the time of persecution that's going on during this time? In the men's Bible study yesterday, we talked about the Roman persecution briefly, saying how it started in the 50s and went all the way to the 300s. Is that the present distress that Christ has cut short? Or is it the period of the end times that Jesus is talking about here? 
He says in Matthew, unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. What present distress is Paul talking about that has been cut short? The one that seems to make the most sense to me, and this isn't a hill I'm willing to die on, but it's one that makes the most sense to me is the famine that he's talking about. Looking at the greater context of 1 Corinthians in, verse, or in chapter 7, he talks about don't marry during this present distress because it's better for you not to marry. He's not saying never ever marry or no one should ever be married if that were the case. A lot of us would be in a lot of trouble right now. There's a lot of us who are married and praise God for that. It's a good thing. Paul says it's not a sin to get married. But he also says it's easier for you if you're not married. In a time of famine, it's easier for you to not have to worry about your loved ones. It's hard enough to deal with the hunger pains that you experience, but it's so much easier just to deal with your own hunger pains and to watch your loved ones, your spouse who you care for, or your children who you would do anything for, having to watch them starve and be hunger, hungry and suffer. So Paul says it's better for you not to marry for this time. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul reminds the believers here to eat your food before you come to the potlucks that they have surrounding communion. Be fed before. Don't come hungry expecting to be fully satisfied with this meal that we have here. Because the reality is there's famine going on at the time and people can bring what they can. And you're probably not going to get stuffed. In the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes that not many of you were wise, not many of you were mighty, not many of you were of noble character, or not noble character, not many of you were noble either. You're not, the congregation at Corinth wasn't rich. So in a time of poverty, in a time of famine, it's a present distress that they feel, that they lived in. So those are my reasons for why I'm saying the present distress that would be cut short is famine. But Christ is bringing this time, cutting it short. The time of distress is ending. So the question for these believers at this time that Paul is writing is, how should we live our lives? The pressure from the outside world, the pressure from the philosophers was, live your life as though there were no rules. Carpe diem, seize the day, seize the moment, find whatever is going to make you happy, whatever is going to make you content. Life is short and life is hard. So do what makes you happy. Or the other side of the philosophers would say, do whatever you can to be self-sufficient so you don't have to worry about anyone else. Don't rely on anyone else. Is this how we should live our lives? Should the believers at this time be so focused on seizing the moment that they neglect to look down the road and see life in view of eternity? Paul reminds them this time has been cut short. This present distress that you're in, it will end at some day. And you and I aren't living in a time of famine right now. But you and I still find ourselves in a time of distress, right? It's hard to live this life as God calls us to live. It's hard to, to be a Christian here in this world that's continuing to get more and more antagonistic to Christians. But this present time, Christ will bring to an end. And we praise God for that. So how should we live in the meantime? Not seizing the day but by seizing Christ, who is the only one who cuts short the time of distress. And Paul moves on to highlight worldly experiences here. When are we to seize Christ? In all of our worldly experiences, we are to seize Christ. 
As the philosophers debated the wisdom of this world and whether it was best to pursue pleasure in this life or self-sufficiency, time would continue to go by and lives would continue to be lived. How was one to live his or her life? Chasing pleasure and self-sufficiency? What was life all about anyway? And in the text today, Paul says, From now on, the one who, those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. And those who buy as though they did not possess. Those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. He's not saying here, if you're married, get rid of your wife. That's not what Paul is saying. He's not saying if you're buying items in this world, get rid of everything that you own. That's not his point. He's not saying if you experience sorrow, shame on you. You shouldn't be sorrowful. This isn't Paul's point. But he's saying we should live as though we aren't because there's more than just pleasing your spouse to life. There's more than just accumulating things in this life. Life is more than just experiencing different emotions in this life. This life is passing away. Paul emphasizes a few worldly experiences that we find in this life, marriage, sorrow, joy, accumulating things or stuff, and using this world as well. These things are all good things, family, emotions, the things that we own, this world that we live in. And if the time has been cut short, and if these are all good things, then shouldn't we be focused on these things? Shouldn't we be chasing after these things? Shouldn't we be all about doing whatever brings us pleasure, whatever brings us meaning and satisfaction? If you were to carpe diem these things, and I don't, I'm not a Latin speaker, I don't know if you can use that as a verb or not. If there are any Latin speakers out there, I apologize if I'm slaughtering your language. Forgive me. But if you were to carpe diem these things, then whenever you were experiencing something that didn't bring you what you want, Whenever you found yourself coming upon hard times, you just simply look for something else to provide you a way out. Something else that will satisfy you. Life's too short to deal with things that you don't want to deal with. Life's too short to spot treat all the laundry that you have to do. So don't do laundry. Carpe diem. If your marriage isn't what you want it to be, life's too short to be stuck in a bad marriage. Find a different spouse. Trade it in for a new one. Carpe diem. And if your childhood wasn't what you wanted, then have kids and live vicariously through your children. That's the way to do that. Carpe diem. Or if your family is driving you nuts, then just leave them. After all, you wouldn't want anyone or anything hampering your pursuit of happiness. It's one of our constitutional rights, isn't it? Carpe diem. This is how it looks in this world of seizing the day, chasing moment after moment. And if emotions keep popping up that you don't want, if you're feeling sad or you're feeling depressed, then simply medicate those feelings away. Whether it's by medication, whether it's video games, whether it's sports, whether it's friends, whether it's drugs, whether it's alcohol, whatever it is, carpe diem, seize the day, numb your pain. Is this the way that we are to operate in a world of carpe diem? Yes. Because life is short. After all, this life is all about you. It's about what brings you happiness. If all you're going to be is worm food, you might as well enjoy this life. And I could spend a whole lot more time talking about this, but I think you get the picture by the looks on your faces. You're saying, where is he going with this? (laughs) Sounds like nails on a chalkboard to us, doesn't it? No one's 
squirming in their pews yet, but we know that this isn't the way it's supposed to be. No one of us, not one of us here would say out loud that this life is all about me and about my happiness. We wouldn't say that because we know better. But our actions tell us a different story, don't they? Our actions tell us that it's my way or the highway. This is what we want it to be like. Our actions tell us that I deserve to be served. I am here for you to serve me. World, I am a blessing to you, so serve me. We demand that our spouse serve us. We demand that our children serve us. We demand that this world serves us. We demand that our friends serve us. Now, we don't say this out loud. Again, but our actions, our desires of our heart, this is what we really want, our own sinful natures. The list that Paul gives here isn't meant to be an all-inclusive list. And we could probably find some things that he mentions here that we identify with, but it's easier for us if we just gloss over it and we say to ourselves, glad that's not me, well, let's move on to more important things here. But what is it that our lives are about? Where do we spend our time? Where do we spend our energy? If this life is passing away, then how should we live this life? What are our goals in life? Are we chasing things that last or are we distracting us from the reality that there is an eternal side to this life that we are living? This life that we've been given isn't for the sole purpose of finding a spouse, owning a house, having a family, and experiencing all that this world has to offer. That's what the world of Carpe Diem would tell you to do. Do whatever makes you happy. Rather, the point of this life that we've been given is to seize Christ. What does that look like, to seize Christ? It doesn't mean just to go and find someone who looks like him and grab your hand, put your hand on him and grab his cloak. That's not what he's talking about here. What does seizing Christ look like in our worldly experiences? It means realizing that this life isn't about your own pursuit of happiness. It's not about your own pursuit of self-sufficiency. But as we seize Christ, we hold on knowing that Christ is the one who we need for all things the one from whom all good things come from, the one and the one alone who saves us, the one who we need for our salvation. The things in this world come and the things in this world go. And contrary to what culture will tell you and contrary to your own selfish nature, this life isn't all about us. So what does it look like to seize Christ when your marriage is in trouble? It means you don't abandon your spouse. You don't just trade in your spouse for a newer model or upgrade. You seize Christ. Look to what he has called you to do through and in your marriage. When you experience all the feels that this world has to offer, good and bad, you realize that these feelings don't dictate reality. That when I'm feeling down and worthless right now, I'm not down and worthless because God's word tells me a different story. And I seize Christ, the truth of his eternal, inerrant word, which tells me what truth really is. When you find yourself unsatisfied with your lot in life now, you don't look to the world to satisfy everything. You don't look to the world to give you contentment, but you seize Christ, and you find contentment in what he has done for you already. When you experience conflict with another human being, a sinner just like yourself, you don't demand that they change and submit to everything that you would have them do, but you ask yourself, what is it that I am bringing to this conflict as well. How can I fix this? Christ, help me to f solve my end of this problem. 
When you see others sharing about all the exciting things going on in their lives, all these extraordinary things, you don't think to yourself, woe is me, my life is just ordinary. But you look back and see what Christ is doing through your life, what Christ has done for your life, and how he has already blessed you. Seizing the moment will give you fun and excitement for a time, but seizing Christ provides satisfaction, meaning, purpose, and fulfillment. This world is passing away, so seize Christ. Do something that will last. Another reason to seize Christ is because the form of this world is passing away. When we realize that this world is passing away, you're presented with a couple of options that we've already talked about this morning. You can throw up your hands and say, what's the point? What's the point of this life? What's the point of me being here? If we're all just going to be food for worms and fertilizer, then I'm just going to do what brings me happiness and what brings me joy. What's the point of resolving conflict if everyone's just going to be eaten by the same worms anyways? There's no point in doing it. Just ignore it. What's the point of trying to be self-sufficient if I'm going to die at the end anyways? Or you can focus on something outside of this world, something that will not fade away, something that will last for eternity. This world is passing away, so how can we do anything that will last as we live in this time, in this place, in this moment? The answer to that question is to seize Christ. What does that look like? First and foremost, as I said earlier, it's looking to Christ for your salvation looking to Christ for what he has already provided for you because this is where meaning comes from. This is where eternity comes from. It comes from Christ who is eternal. In the other readings this morning, we heard the call to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind isn't isolating yourself from everyone else so that just you and Jesus can go and you can focus on loving him and that's it. But loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind shows itself in loving Him first and foremost, looking to Him for your salvation. But it shows itself as also obeying Him, what He has commanded us to do, to love your neighbor as yourself. And who are our neighbors, our spouses, our children, our parents, our employees, our employers, our neighbors, our teachers, our politicians, the members in our congregations, our friends, those we get along with, those we don't get along with. And the list goes on and on and on. And as we do these things, it's not just a, a temporary thing. It might not bring you joy. It might not bring you happiness. But this is what God has called us to do. And this is extraordinary as Christ is working in and through you in those times. It might not be something that you come to the lunchroom and you say, you know what I did this weekend? I loved my neighbor today. No, we probably don't do that. I'd encourage you to do that. That'd be great. People will look at you like you're crazy, but that's okay. But this is what God has called us to do. And the next reading, the gospel reading, Christ tells us to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven, not on earth where things are passing away, where rust destroys and moths destroy or where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven. And what does that look like? As you love your neighbor as yourself, as you honor God, as you serve him, you are storing up for yourself treasures in heaven. It might not bring you all the newest gadgets, all the fancy things that you desire to have, but it's bringing you eternal rewards that one day you will reap, and you will see what they are when God calls you home. Christ makes these ordinary things extraordinary. 
He makes these temporal things more than just insignificant. He makes them significant, and not just for now and for tomorrow, but he makes these things significant for all eternity. Christ makes it eternal. The things that we have in this life aren't given to us to be self-sufficient or merely just to give us pleasure. The things that we have in this life are given to us so that we might glorify Christ and serve him, that we might seize Christ. The things that we have in this life are given to us so that we might come to know Jesus and serve him and be saved by him. And all these things that we have, we see a glimpse of who Christ is. As we see the faithfulness of God, of our spouse, we see a glimpse of how faithful God is to us. As we see the love we have for our children, we see just a glimpse of how much God loves us as his children. As we see that the police, the military protecting us, we see God's care and concern for us that he desires to put these people in place for our protection to provide and pre prevent us from people doing evil against us. We see his concern for us and we see his will for us and giving us his law, the way that life was designed to be lived, following that. But we also see his will for us in sending us his son, that everything points to Christ. He sent his son into this world not to judge the world, not to tell you to do better, but that the world might be saved through Christ. The form of this world is passing away, but Christ's death, his life, his resurrection, his stands for all time complete. And his salvation lasts throughout all generations. And so when we're pressured in this day, in this life, to seize the day, to seize the moments, to chase after meaning and purpose, chase after Christ, and you will find eternal meaning, eternal purpose. You will find salvation. The motto of our lives shouldn't be carpe diem, but the motto of our lives should be carpe Christum. Seize Christ. May your lives be more than just ordinary, but extraordinary in and through Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, we praise you, that you are a God who has given us all good gifts, that you are a God who reveals yourself to us, you reveal yourself to us in the things that we find around us, that all creation points to you. You reveal yourself to us in this world, you reveal yourself to us in the relationships we have in this world, but Lord, ultimately, you reveal yourself to us in your word and through your son. And we praise you for that. Jesus, I pray that as we live our lives, that you would help us to focus on you, that you would help us to seize you, that we would view the ordinary aspects of our everyday lives, not just as mundane things, but as opportunities to love and serve you with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. Thank you, God, for loving us and for saving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.